I failed. Just now, when it counted the most, I've failed. But I can't give up. I must keep trying. I must. I've got to try to free myself, no matter how impossible it seems. And lifting is the only way. The only way. Ugh, I can't. So exhausted after all that fighting. I, I feel so weak. It's lying there. Just beyond reach, as though mocking me, taunting me. It's the one thing, the only thing, that may save Aunt May, and I can't bring it to her. If she doesn't make it, it'll be my fault. Just the way I've always blamed myself for what happened to Uncle Ben. The two people in all the world who've been kindest to me. I can't fail again. It can't happen a second time. I won't let it. I won't. No matter what the odds, no matter what the cost... I'll get that serum to Aunt May, and maybe then I'll no longer be haunted by the memory of Uncle Ben. Within my body is the strength of many men. And now I've got to call on all that strength, all the power that I possess. I must prove equal to the task. I must be worthy of that strength. Or else I don't deserve it. The weight is unbearable. Every muscle aches. My head, it's spinning. Everything's beginning to whirl around. The strain, it's... It's unbearable. The crack in the ceiling, it's growing wider, getting bigger every second. I'll never make it. I can't. No, I dare not give up now. If I close my eyes, I'll go under. Must stay awake. Must clear my head. Keep trying. Trying. I'll do it, Aunt May. I won't fail you. No matter what, I won't fail. Anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. It's when the going's tough, when there seems to be no chance. That's when it counts. Everything going black, my head aching. Hold on. I must hold on. It's moving. Can't stop now. Last chance. Must keep the momentum. More? Just a little more? I did it! I'm free! Screw it! Screw it! We're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. This is the podcast where we go over the original uh, 41 uh, issues of The Amazing Spider-Man as done by the original creative team of Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Uh, I'm one of your two co-hosts. My name is Will Hines. And the other one of your co-hosts, Will's brother uh, and friend, Kevin Hines. Uh, we're also comedians at the UCB Theater and big time Spider-Man fans. And uh, this episode, we're doing issue 33 which is the last of the Master Planner trilogy. And um, as we've said many times, it's uh, one of the best issues of Spider-Man ever. One of me and Kevin's, or Kevin and I's favorite uh, uh, comic book issues ever. We're so excited to talk about it. It's the emotional end of Ditko's run, even though there's five or six more issues after this, or maybe just four or five issues after this. Uh, but it's the emotional end of his story, and it's a huge deal, and we've been building up to it since, I guess, the first episode of this podcast. So it's a big deal to us, obviously. Some will say, boy, maybe you overhyped it just a bit. Been talking about it for weeks and weeks, and then you come to this trilogy. You really set the expectations high. Our response to that is... We didn't set them high enough. We undersold it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We undersold. We've been we've been we've been understating the situation. If this isn't your favorite story in any medium, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, um, the, the problem lies with you, not with the story. <laughs> not with you us. Mu- you have to feel the way we feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so excited, Kevin. It, yeah, it's the emotional end of Ditko's. This 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 could be the end of the Spider-Man story. It's a natural ending to sort of the initial emotional arc of Peter Parker and it brings everything to a close really. Yeah. I mean, uh, even in that first monologue that he gives across five pages, he says that if he can save Aunt May, maybe he will no longer be haunted by uncle Ben. So you could, if you wanted, say it. Now he can just be sort of a hero relaxed from all with, pressures and just yeah, sort of do it. Guilt. Yeah. He's atoned. Uh, yeah. But in the cold open of this episode, we read the first five pages and I just, I just love him so much. Yeah, uh, I was reading it last night in preparation for this podcast, and I was like, oh, this this is really fun. It's really, uh, fun. It's really crazy. Um, but let's talk. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Yeah. So this is issue 33. The cover uh, shows Spidey um, trapped under a huge machine. This is where we left him last issue. He's trapped under an enormous piece of machinery. Water's pouring down on his head. Yep. Ditko loves fluids. It's, and it's called cover. the final chapter, which again sounds like it could be the final issue. Yeah. 
it's it's one of the iconic covers. Like you know, this you you'll probably recognize this if you are a Spider-Man comics fan. Um, it's pretty cool. I love it. It's yeah. a great cover. Uh, and it's uh came out in February 1966. Um, so let's uh let's get into it. Yeah, let's let's uh let's dig in. Um, it starts with sort of a recap of the last issue in case you, you know, people are picking these off the picking these up off the newsstands. There's no guarantee you would have had the previous issue. You'd hope you would for something like this, but there's no guarantee you might, this might be your first issue. You might've missed the last four or five. Yep. So it's important to always recap what's going on. So the first four panels is all recap. Just showing how much Peter's been piling on. His Aunt May's dying. His friend, the scientist, Dr. Kurt Connors, AKA the lizard is waiting for Spider-Man to bring in an ingredient to him. There's a gang of thugs waiting to beat the crap out of Spider-Man. There's an underwater layer, which is leaking and about to like collapse inward. And then Spider-Man himself trapped under this enormous block of metal with the medicine or with the radioactive element that he needs just out of reach. Yeah. Uh, and it's got a caption at the bottom that says, possibly one of the most thoroughly satisfying Spider-Man sagas you've ever thrilled to. It's interesting to me that like the credits box on the splash page has no jokes in it. Uh, you know, Stan Lee's been making a lot of wisecracks here, but I think he did this issue. He's like, oh, yeah, this is a serious end. There, there's no time for jokes here. Yeah, not at this point, at least. Uh, I, is there really any jokes in this issue at all? Uh, there's a little bit. There there's is. a little with JJJ. Oh, that's good. Good. Good old Jonah. We can count on him for a little comic relief. Uh, and then we, what we get into, we turn the page um, and we get into, let's see, one, four pages, right? One, two, three, four. Yeah. Four pages where Spidey is just lifting the machine off his back. And this is the kind of thing that normally would be two panels, three panels at most. Yeah. When you're standing. Four pages, four pages plus that, a panel on that first page. So, um, you know, it's, it's sort of this huge decision to like, you know, milk this moment, I guess. And this is where the collaboration of Steve Ditko and Stan Lee is so interesting. Uh, go into that. Well, it's like, you know, Ditko's running the show here. He's writing the story. He's doing the plot. He's not talking to Stan. He delivers the art. And um, yet, here's four pages where the dialogue has to do all the heavy lifting, if I may say, because mm. it has to like, yep, uh -huh. it has to like um, narrate emotionally what's going on because it's sort of impossible visually to, to, to make distinctive what's going on so much. Yeah, all he really puts is sort of like ghostly images of Aunt May and Uncle Ben sort of haunting Spider-Man. But that's basically the only real cue. Again, maybe Ditko put in like placeholder dialogue here to inspire Stan. But yeah, Stan does a great job with this. I mean, it's it's a little cheesy. We just read it all. You can judge that for yourself. But yeah, definitely at the time, it it's perfect. Uh, and I think mo it mostly works. It mostly uh, uh, it, it works like it is melodramatic and it's it's hammy. But this is the emotional climax of 33 issues. You should be yeah. here. This is big speech time. This is if you, if you were making a Spider-Man TV show today and you were doing this scene, there'd be a lot less dialogue. But yeah, it'd be uncool. Uh, the, the style wouldn't fit. But 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 I would say spending so long just lifting one piece of machinery does feel like very modern storytelling. Definitely, the comics back then packed so much story into each page. To spend so much time on this is crazy. It feels like uh, I'm, I've been watching Better Call Saul. Uh -huh. uh, the new season is on right now. Yeah. And that show will spend like eight minutes watching Saul, uh, you know, make coffee or Mike yeah. create, build a sidewalk or something. Uh, they'll just spend lots of time on that sort of stuff. They yeah. won't rush it. And uh, that's what this makes me think of. It's just like, yeah, uh, we're going to trust that we're going to tell this in such an interesting way. It doesn't matter that it really is four pages where... You could just describe it as Spider-Man lifts the object off his back. Yeah. And um, I have uh, I've thought of the the quotes that Spidey says to himself here many, many times in my life. And that also is cheesy and insane of me. But I do. I, I think about it like I'm genuinely moved despite all of the melodrama. I, I've often thought to myself, anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. You know, it's when the going's tough, when there seems to be no chance. That's when it counts. I, I think about that. Yeah, you got to read that segment. We sort of just randomly started, uh, and I didn't know who was going to get that line, but I was like, that's that's the heart of that whole speech, that he can't give up now just because it's, it's seemingly impossible. 
that's the one time it matters that he works hard. And he's had a few moments like this throughout, but but this is the most intense version of that. It's the most cinematic version. It's the most emotional. Um, his decision to not give up, right? This is the this is the big maybe character development of Peter Parker. When we first met Peter Parker, he gets these powers and he's out for money. He's out for himself. He can't be bothered. And now he's a guy who will not quit. He will not give up. It's it's uh, not even an option. I think it's also important that because it takes so long, there is a page and a half before the machinery seems to even budge. That which I think helps sell that it's not an easy lift. Like if it took him two panels, yeah. At the end of that, you'd be like, I guess it wasn't that heavy, right? The draw, um, the drawing is great too. Like <laughs> look how big it is. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It's an enormously huge piece of machine really shown in that first panel on the first page, uh, as well as the last couple of panels. Uh, it's also great just because as it goes on, the water that's pouring down uh, into the room becomes larger and larger streams. It starts hitting Spider-Man right in the head. Yeah, you can like, you can, he, you can. He's almost, being waterboarded a little bit. Yeah, he's being tortured. Um, you can sort of hear the water dripping in your mind. Like Ditko's visuals are so good here that they're they're really atmospheric. Um, yeah. By the time we get to the second to last panel, it's just like pouring down the edges of the machine. It's hitting him in the head and the shoulder. It's splashing in the foreground. Like there's only moments before this entire roof caves in while he's also having to lift this. I don't know what this machine was for. Yeah. <laughs> it is so huge. I love it. Yeah. It doesn't seem that useful. Um, there's a, you know, like the, there's an emotional metaphor here. Uh, um, I mean, that's what an insane sentence to start saying, yeah, but it's true, which is like the, the, like Spider-Man is a character, especially in these early issues of guilt. He's driven by guilt and shame. And so to me, like this machine is the guilt and shame that he feels. And this is him shrugging it off. You know, this is him getting rid of it finally. Um, uh, after, you know, issues and issues of becoming more and more of a real hero um, he is now bigger than it. And it's, and when he says, I did it, I'm free on the, on the big panel, that's him being free of, uh, his burden. Um, it is, he's defeated his real, like whatever Uber villain, which is his own shame. He now believes in himself. It's uh, super cool. Yeah. Uh, even that moment of just sort of saying like, I don't deserve these powers if I can't lift right, it. Right. Anybody can be given the powers, but like, I have to show that I'm worthy of it. That first, another one of the quotes I think about a lot is within my body is the strength of many men. Just cause I, I can almost like hear drums beginning, you know, like a heroic, like charge, like this is it. This is when he's going to beat it. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be pinned under something and just be like, well, no one could lift this piece. Like if I can't lift this. You know, what do, what do I need to be able to beat win this battle? I've been given such incredible strength already. How is that not enough? Yeah. Um, th this is sort of the ultimate power fantasy of the superhero mythos or whatever. Like, you are someone that nobody knows how great you are. You have these powers. No one knows about it. You're suffering in silence. I mean, there's a little bit of an indulgence here, but I, it's so indulgent that I love it. Um. And there's also the, I, oh, sorry, go on. And then there's like a nobility. It's like, you will, you'll carry your burden. Nobody will know how much work you've done, but he, here is this story celebrating everybody who's ever wrestled with like an inner demon on their own. I think there's also this aspect of sadness that like, if he died here, not only would Aunt May die, but no one would know what happened to Peter Parker. Yeah, he would just vanish. He's at, the, he's at the bottom of the river. It'd just be like, oh, that lady's nephew never came back. Right. She died in the hospital and then he was gone also. Whatever. No one would. Yeah, no one knows. what, what Spider-Man's gone. Um, you have to think that that would put, people would put it together. Uh, but yeah, he's not. But another interesting thing is he's not worried about his own death here. No. He's just, he's a, he can't let, it's almost like if he could save Aunt May, he'd willingly die. Like he. All he's focused on is that. If he could trade his life, he would. That would he would take that option, no question. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting. He's wearing a mask. You can't see his face. You know, like what a what a bold and confident decision to be like. I'm going to spend time 
with my protagonist going through the biggest emotional struggle of his whole existence, and I, I can't show his face. The, move, the yeah, movies, what, he would rip the mask off. Yeah, and Homecoming, there's a moment near the end where he has to lift a heavy thing off his back. It's not quite as intense as this, but he's maskless, for sure. Which I totally understand. Uh, it, like, you have to show the feeling. I guess, uh, but I mean, it's there. I don't know. You can act without seeing your face. It, it's uh, it's why they gave him movable eyes in the most recent movie. They think it to give him more emotional range in his acting uh, when he's wearing the mask. Yeah, but I, I I'm not 100 percent sure. I think you could do it without it. I and mean, this can be a silly example, but and V for Vendetta, he wears the mask in that whole movie. Yeah, Hugo yeah. Weaving, and he's acting. Yeah. Like, there's no question I'm getting a lot well, of emotion from Hugo Weaving. You have to rely on other things. You have to rely on the voice. You have to rely on the reactions of other people. You have to, I mean, here, here in this, we have a lot of dialogue that helps. We have the yeah. water dripping, um, the fists clenched. There's a lot of body language. Oh, it's just so good. I mean, it's a masterpiece. And the, the others, I, I just love it. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be. I, I mean, I'd love to see this without word balloons. Oh, man. I mean, I can sort of picture it, but I think it still is a really beautiful moment. It's like the moment where he's clutching his head and as the water is sort of increasing and the strain of pulling, like on the second page, the second panel where he's like pushing up really hard. It's very clear that he's trying to lift it there. You don't need. Yeah, lifting's the only way, the only way. Yeah. Uh, it just looks great. Um, yeah. And, it, and this, when I when I first read this, I was just completely blown away. I'd been waiting all month for this issue in Marvel Tales when it came out, and then I was gre- I was waiting for a big climax, and I was still surprised over how powerful it was. It's also interesting that like he's sort of in this. How do you get out of this trap? And the tra- and the way he gets out of it is just like well, the way you'd think. He lifts it off him, but that's not the point. How he gets out of it is not what's interesting. It's watching him dig deep and be able to do it. Um, it's an a- it's an acting moment. From a, from Steve and Stan, and they nail it. They nail it. Uh, I wonder how long Stan's like because you. I always imagine Stan dialogues as fast as possible. Yeah. Doesn't look back at the earlier pages, right? Because right. he's got a he's got an issue of Thor and Fantastic Four and X Men waiting for him. Right, right. He's like, I got to get through this. But I like to imagine he got to this page and kind of gave it two or three passes, just being like, I got to get these. I got to get this right. five pages right. Yeah. I, I I totally believe that he did. I mean, I uh, Stanley is one of the most He's both, he's at the same time, the most overrated and underrated man in comics overrated because so many people know his name and give him so much credit. That's not fair, but he's also underrated because then people who are in the know and are like, boy, Steve Ditko did all this work, which is true. They forget, they forget to give him credit for what he actually did do, which was he delivered the story. You know, the, the dialogue works. Yeah. He communicates that story to us, the readers. Any, uh, in a really good way. And like laying off jokes on pages like this, I mean, it seems obvious, but. Yeah, you can imagine a Stan Lee of earlier issues being like a caption box being like, don't worry, fans, you know, there'll, there'll be a fight coming. Like that's something he would do a lot. Yeah. Um, or Peter making some lighthearted comment like, you know, I've been in jams before, but this is, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, Joe Namath stuck underneath Perry Mason or something. Yeah, right, right. Uh, now I get how uh, ants on the sidewalk feel. Right. And uh, he doesn't do that. And uh, yeah, I bet the Hulk never gets in situations like this. Right, right. Um, uh, or like worrying about subplots, you know, like by Flash yeah. Thompson, uh, uh, this will be nothing, you know, Flash Thompson's touchdowns are nothing compared to this or whatever. But like, he doesn't do any of that. This, and I, I love it. I love this speech. Yeah. Think about how, uh, that's think why, about how uh, far they've come. Like, that's the other thing I think about with this issue. Amazing Fantasy 15, Stan and Steve have just finished doing a series of like Twilight Zone-y sci-fi fantasy stories, most of which are like three pages. Then they do Amazing Fantasy 15, they introduce a character, and of course that story is great. But it is just an 11-page or whatever it is um, superhero Twilight Zone story that has a twist at the end, you know? This villain that you let go is the one who killed your father. And it's just, and as great as it is, there's, look at how much they've added. Now they've become this Stan and Steve. They're making movies with huge emotional undercurrents that are, that's building up for issues. Um, you know, villains that have been given uh, weight from their previous appearances. 
uh, an answer to something that started way back in the beginning. Like just bit by bit and through this podcast, we've watched it. They've accumulated a set of tools that have turned what was just like a good idea, not to belittle how hard it is to have a good idea, but they turned what was just a good idea into a whole universe. And this is the Marvel universe. They made the Marvel universe. And, and we can see it here. I mean, this is as good an issue of Marvel Comics as you will ever find. There's, there's, you can't get better. So I declare. Yep. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of, if not the most famous moment in Spider-Man comics history. Uh, next to, I guess, his origin yeah. being the only more famous moment. Yep. Um, the speech he says is probably second only to with great power great must also yeah. come great responsibility. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why it, it just bookends that story so yeah. well, because the only thing that compares to it is amazing fantasy 15. Yeah. And the other sad thing, which I mentioned when we started this trilogy is, or the, th- the thing that adds this, that adds an emotional punch to me is knowing that Steve Ditko in a way is done after this. I don't think he knew that, but he was going to be quitting Spider-Man. He'd either decided that already, or he was deciding it soon. He would leave Marvel comics. He would sort of go into the, the second and third acts of his career, which were largely obscure. And he wasn't ever really able to have a hit this big. He did have successes. He did a lot. Of course, yeah, I mean, he created a lot of great characters, um, but he created and this. This is his peak, no question. And uh, this is his peak moment of storytelling. These three issues. Uh, this is his most popular character he ever created or ever will would create. Yeah, and and then he's kind of gone, and like he's a young man here when he does this, and it breaks my heart a little bit. I'm like, I mean, I know that it was his own choice, and. But part of me is like, I don't know, Steve, you, you had, you deserved a bigger spotlight and whatever it was that made you turn away from it or made people misunderstand you, it's not worth it. It's a little, we'll never totally know the answer of what was going on with Steve's psychology, but. Yeah, you'd like to think it could have been worked out if both of them were just less proud yeah it's the amazing story that you told me and that i read in the blake bell steve ditko book which is where in the 90s editor tom defalco got ditko and lee back in the same room to talk about maybe doing spider-man again it's crazy that they were even in the same room to talk about it in the late 90s this is after the clone saga you know what i mean this is like yeah and um and steve took the meeting and then i guess they talked about it and he decided he wasn't into it uh, but amicably, it's described as a very friendly meeting. Yeah. Um, it's described as sort of just, he kind of toys with the idea and then just, it's not for him. And he leaves. Um, and then Stan turns to Tom Defalco and goes, hey, did you ever find out why Ditko quit doing Spider-Man? And I'm like. So you're combining, you're combining two stories oh, a little oh, bit, okay. actually. Uh, so he, I think Ditko was asked to do a solo Spider-Man book without Stan. Oh, okay. And he considered that. And then he was also asked to do art for a Ravage 2099 oh, thing that Stan Lee was I see, writing. I see. Uh, but they're both great stories. He considered doing a Spider-Man story, didn't end up doing it. Considered working with Stan again on this other series, but it just it didn't fit his uh, ideology enough, I uh-huh, guess. Uh-huh. And yeah, and then when he left, Stan asked Tom DeFalco, do you know why he quit Spider-Man? Yeah. And Tom was like, you, you need to ask him. Because yeah. Steve Ditko's answer to that is Stan knows. I think Steve wanted Stan to come to him and ask, and Stan never did it. I think the, the fact that Stan stopped talking to Steve and vice versa, Steve blamed that on Stan. He's like, you stopped talking to me, and that's why would I work This is the you? darker side of Steve Ditko, like, in Spider-Man, Peter's kind of long-suffering, nobody-understands-me thing is balanced out by Stan Lee's jokes and Spider-Man's heroics. And Peter does have moments of victory. But in real life, I do think that Ditko, and I'm super reading into a situation which I don't know, but was kind of a glutton or like, uh, I think he had a little bit of a poor me syndrome. Um, or it's easy to imagine that at least. To where... It definitely had. He must have had some of that. I mean, you, 
even though people say he was very nice and easy to talk to, he's also described as someone who gets mad and gets angry and sort of snaps. It's like at a certain point, you can't blame the entire world for upsetting you. Yeah. Anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy is what I would say to Steve. Did. But but he yeah, whatever. That's why he's so mysterious. You could also say that he stuck by his morals and never compromised and didn't complain about it either. And you can say that. But he did, yeah, he didn't go out of his way to complain about it. It's not like he was taking interviews to bad Yeah, mouth, he never did that. Uh, which he could have done. People would have eaten those stories up. Yeah, it, that wasn't his style. I don't know. He, he It doesn't sound like he, he ever did lawsuits or anything like that, which is like another thing he, he lots of creators did and I think were right to do to get some of the rights back. Um, he never did that from as far as I know. Yeah. Um, I guess what I another thing I love about this issue and the whole Spider-Man story is it takes Ditko's emotional kind of posture and frames it into a great heroic story. Like it, it, it casts Ditko's emotional temperament in a um, kind of positive light. You know, it's it's. Peter Parker's a lot cooler than Steve Ditko, but he is based on Steve Ditko, I believe. Anyway, what what an achievement. Like, just who comics were just supposed to be these dime a dozen, grind it out, villain of the month. And here's a guy who's put his whole soul into it. And uh I, I love it for that reason. Should we yeah. get into the rest of this? Um Yeah, that's just the first five <laughs> pages of this. We're sort of talking uh kind of in yeah. whole. Um, and yeah, he lifts this big item off of him, but he's still in a flooding base right. surrounded now, by, uh, henchmen. Yeah. He still has, uh, he's on a time limit because whatever is in this case only is going to survive for so long. Um, yeah. So there's still a lot of story to go. That's a simple story. It's a really good story. Yeah. Now it's just like an awesome action, uh, story. I mean, there's other stuff going on too, but we shift into sort of just like the big end to the big movie, like the the big action sequences. Yeah, escaping the self destructing yeah. base. So basically. page six, we see Spidey holding his knee. He's you know he's injured. He's exhausted. He's clutching this medicine for dear life. That we see the ceiling in panel two, water coming in. Uh, yeah, I will say that, uh, that we just talked about that first five pages for what twenty minutes or so. Uh, there's two or three other moments of story that I find almost as good. Oh, good. I can't wait. Is it one of them on this page? Um, and one of them is on this Which page. One? So I'm uh, interrupting you to bring it up. This moment. So like this room starts filling with water and he realizes he's not going to get out of the room in time before it floods with water. And he lets the gush of water just hit him. And he sort of rides it off because he's so exhausted. It's almost easier to be hit by a tidal wave. Than to fight it. And be pushed forward than to like do yeah, anything page, else. And it's almost like a eight, relief. Right? The last panel. Yeah, the last the last panel on the page top six. Panel on page I'll go limp. Nine or seven, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm talking more about the one right before that. The last panel on page six. I'll go limp. Let it sweep me along through the tunnel. These few seconds will give me a chance to regain some of my strength. And it's a great looking panel. I mean, there's a couple great looking panels oh, yeah. on this, this page whole alone. Filled with them. Um, top of page seven, he's being he's being batted about by this water. There's something almost. I, I, I doubt I doubt this was all consciously planned, but it, there's something sort of zen about it. It's like just give over, go with the flow. Don't try to. You've had your moment of willpower. Now have a moment of riding with the forces. Um, I mean, Spidey's being a zen master here. He knows when to be yang and when to be yin. I say. And here he's being yin. He goes with the flow. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a lot of that throughout this story. It's very interesting watching him sort of deal with it. Uh, on page seven, panels two, three, four, he's totally underwater. He's holding his breath. Uh, he's almost going to drown. But then the water itself bursts open a closed door so that he can escape. And at the bottom of page seven, he surfaces. Yeah. But then the top of page eight, he's pulled back under because now – uh, the master planner slash Dr. Octopus's scuba goons have pulled him back underwater. Missed opportunity him. by Stan, uh, a rare one in this issue, top of page 80. He's grabbing, the the henchman is grabbing the injured ankle. It's the one that Spidey was trying not to walk on. So if you, if you <laughs> yeah. ever rolled your ankle uh, or broken anything, imagine somebody grabbing it and pulling you with it. Yeah, it must uh, hurt. So then we have an, un, we have an, <laughs> well, that's we have an underwhelling that. <laughs> uh, it's good thing that we didn't do the dialogue. Ouch! Ouchie! Owie! Yeah. Ow! Ooh! Owie! 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 Ooh! Ooh! Cut it out! Beep! Beep! Um, 
So top four panels of page eight are the underwater fight with the amphibious henchmen. We've seen underwater fights that Ditko does. They're always cool looking. It's cool looking here. Yeah. Uh, he's Spider-Man rips their air hoses off their masks so that they can't breathe because as he's previously told us in past issues, he can hold his breath longer than most people. Then he comes out of the water at the bottom of page eight and there's, they're just these cocky jerks are all just standing around waiting to overwhelm him. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Plus the two scuba goons climb up there and they're ready to, they outnumber him. There's maybe like 10 of and, them. Yeah. They're not wrong. This guy's just been through hell. Maybe they have a shot. Um, they don't know yep. what mindset he's in. This is a man who will fight to his last iota of energy right now. So page nine and 10 is this super cool, I think, like fight. Like, Yeah, this is the other moment that really stands out to me is these guys were winning initially. They're just beating him up. And at a certain point, Spider-Man sort of stops fighting back and just taking the rest. punches. Yeah, to rest. He needs to rest his muscles and they don't hit him hard enough to really hurt him. Uh, at least any individual punch. So he can take a handful of punches and it's actually easier it's than crazy. fighting back. I and he thinks it. that to himself. See, this is probably the first time anyone ever rested by taking a beating. Uh, it's funny. Um, it's funny how many fist fights we've seen over the course of these Spider-Man pages. And sometimes they can be so boring if there's no emotion behind it. Like the Molten Man fight is one of those. Uh, and this yeah. one with all the emotion behind it, even though it's just Spidey punching a bunch of dudes, which we've seen dozens of times, He's doing it for Aunt May. He's just he's just overcome this huge battle. Uh, you're 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 so invested in him. He has emotionally earned the victory that you know is coming, and so it's so satisfying to watch it happen. Yeah, by the end of page ten, he can't even lift his head, so he's not even looking at what he's doing. He's just swinging his fist wildly while thinking about Aunt May and how he can't stop now. He's so close. He's got to beat yeah, these guys. It actually, off. starts in panel one of page ten. His head is down, and his head doesn't come up the rest of that page. Yeah, and he thinks about Aunt May. Oh, yeah, the end of page 10 has a good one. A man may lose, a man may be defeated. It's no disgrace so long as he doesn't give up. I love that too. I forgot about that one. Yeah, it's another good. It's just re-emphasizing the whole point of this issue is like, this is the time where he can't lose. page 11, you love this part, I bet. <laughs> yes. This is where Spider-Man has, he's beaten up these guys and he doesn't even realize he's beaten them because he's not really watching what he's doing. And he, for a couple panels, he's just swinging at empty air. Nobody can make me give up. Not when there's so much at stake. I'll keep fighting until, until what? It's, it's <laughs> yeah, over. He doesn't even know that he's beating them down. Cause it, like, that's not on his mind at all. He's just, he sort of closed his eyes and just I went for it. it. I love it. And they're just, there's just thugs all around him. Knocked Bottom out three panels of page 11. He's finally escaped the master planners lair. He surfaces back out the panel that he came in when he found them. Um, now the top of page 12, Things start to go right for Spider-Man. Yeah, there's a couple of things here that don't make sense to me. Maybe they make sense to you. I'll ask when we get to them. But he gets to Doc Connors with the serum, who now that's all he needs to finish his sort of antidote to save mm -hmm. Aunt May. And Spider-Man needs to give him a sample of his own blood to test it on, which I don't fully understand because last issue he gave Doc a sample of Aunt May's blood. Uh, right. That's inconsistent. He either needs more of Aunt May's blood now, or he could have used his own blood last issue. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, I guess my, my, um, submission for a no prize is just that he's thought about it, you know, in the heat of the moment, he grabbed Aunt May's blood. And now that he's thought about it more, he realizes his own blood would do. Yeah. But I mean, it seems like if they have, they already have blood. It's not, it's not like he needs, he's sort of stealthily drawing his own blood to give it to Doc Connors to test it on. I mean, maybe his thought is, and it's not said, if it can cure my blood, it'll definitely cure Aunt May's because mine is all radioactive. So much more potent. Or maybe, you know, he wants to cure himself. He wants to no longer be Spider-Man. Yeah, none of that's said. I'm reading into it all. I think it's fair to say he's trying to quit here. Even there's, also, there's also an interesting moment on the next page where he... The Doc Connors asks, like, who's this for? It might affect them if they're at a different age or a gender or weight. Like I need to know some details. And, and Spider-Man's like, I can't tell you that. And then he tells him, call the hospital, let them know I'm coming to cure with this cure. Like that's enough information for doc to figure it all out. If he really wanted that's true. to. Yeah. yeah. He could also, if it's going to help Aunt May survive, Spidey should give that information. Yeah. I mean, later yeah. on, Spider-Man hands the cure to doctors for, for May Parker. If he's worried about hiding his identity, it's not going to work. 
He's got to just trust that people aren't going to look into it. It's funny. And if you can't trust Doc Connors, I don't know who you can trust. Right. That's true. I didn't think about that. That's inconsistent. I guess I'm so swept along by his emotional victory that I'm not, I'm not really looking so closely at that, but that's true. He, I mean, I just rather have it not come up. Like Doc doesn't need to say, who's this for? And then it sort of solves the problem. But Stan and comic books in general just have this secret identity thing that they've always got to like remind you that he doesn't want anyone to know who he really is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Doc formulates a cure. Spider-Man gets to help a little bit with some crazy beakers and fumes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's always good. That's always a good time. Uh, Spider-Man Funny. races to the hospital. Yeah. In my, so I'm looking at my original issue 33 that I bought. Yes. And the advertisement after page 13, um, I'll take a picture of it and send it to you. It says, um, is a guy, like a middle-aged man applying for a job, and the woman is saying, sorry, we only hire, we hire only high school graduates. And so the, and the headline of this product is, now you can finish high school at home. And it's like, it, I don't know, I'm just remembering how big a deal it was that Peter went to college in these yeah. issues. And here's the advertisements for the reader at home being just there's people who don't finish high school reading comics. And that's common enough that you have a full page ad. Yeah. Um, high school, I think, has become more of a everyone does it type thing. Yeah. And now college even. A lot of people go to college uh, when it used to not be such a given. Yeah. Um, but back then, it, I guess it wasn't. And it's uh, the world has changed. Yep. So we go to page 14. Uh, the doctors are administering the antidote to Aunt May and they tell Spider-Man it'll be two hours before they know if it works. Right. And so Spider-Man leaves to go do some more work here. He goes back to the master planner's base to get some photographs. He gets a photograph of himself leaving the base. So you can see Spider-Man leaving. He gets a photograph of the criminals sort of out cold. And then he calls Frederick Foswell, former big man of the gangs. (laughs) Yes, the former mafia head is now good guy reporter, uh, gets a tip, an anonymous tip from Spider-Man about, you know, where the master planner gang is. Boswell tells J. Jonah Jameson, skin flint, bad guy publisher, that he'll have an extra coming. Jonah immediately begins one of his creepy smiles. Yeah, he's hoping that the extras at Spider-Man is dead or in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Unfortunately for Jonah, it's only the end of a terrible crimes uh, spree that's been plaguing the city. Yeah. Uh, then we see Spidey talking to Foswell, and Spidey basically gives Foswell the information. Yeah, so Foswell can call the police and sort of uh, be there for the capture of all these crooks, and Foswell can write a story about it. It's a huge get for Frederick Foswell. Spider-Man gets the photos of this capture. gets them all being unmasked. Doc Ock escaped last issue. But otherwise, it's a it's a huge haul by the police. Top of page 16, we see all the, the master planner guys with their masks off. As per usual, our criminal thugs are, they look to be in their mid-40s, have full heads of hair, and are just a, a weird array of Dick Tracy-looking faces. But to their credit, these are some of the bravest thugs I've ever seen. These guys attack Spider-Man time and time again. They stay in a flooding building. Yep. Good for these guys. These are tough to, yeah, good for them. Nobody, anybody can win a fight when the odds are easy. They're thinking to themselves. Yeah, yeah. We, we lost should, this we one, should, we should but we didn't give up. We should do an issue of 33 from their point of view and use all yeah. the same dialogue. Yeah, um, the only difference is they lose. Yeah. Um, so Spidey here, page 16, panel three. He's still nursing his leg. We cut back to Jameson. Jameson is flipping out. There's so much activity in the background. This this is such huge yeah. news that the bugle has gone nuts. Everyone is passing pieces of paper around. Ties are flopping in the air. Here and here's the joke: like Jameson's on the phone with Foswell, hearing hearing about the story, and uh, he goes, "That's great, Foswell. I knew you could do it." And then he thinks, "Better not praise him too much. He's liable to hit me for a raise." <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's sort of the levity of the issue: is Jameson's yeah. insanity. To be fair, Foswell should be just grateful he has a job. Yeah, he was head of. It's the not mob. like he's. Yeah, he doesn't have just a criminal record. I'm okay. I'm all for ex uh, ex criminals getting jobs. I mean, yeah. I know Ditko isn't. This guy ran the mobs. Yeah. Um, bottom of page sixteen, Peter comes limping in, uh, and we and we get we get another uh, step in the Betty Brant romance. Uh, 
Yeah, she's not she's not mad at him for his violent outbursts from issue 31. She wants to talk to him. She knows something's wrong. And he turns around and he is battered. Yes, top of page 17, we see how badly Peter's been. Oh, man, man, what a dreamboat he's become, though, huh? Oh, he's so hot. Um, Compared to Amazing Fantasy 15 and the... His first appearance, he was like the nerdiest nerd in nerddom. Now, yeah, he, now now he's got like a bruised face and it just makes him look sexier. Looks like rebel without a cause. Yeah. Um, and he really lets Betty, He this is the closest he comes to telling Betty the truth. And it's basically like, yep, my job is dangerous and I like it and it's going to stay that way. I.e., I'm not for you. Yeah, this is the, the most, this is the best handling of it he's had so far rather than yelling at her or being mad at her. He's just saying like, I'm not going to change. Page 17, panel two, you know, he's kind of stone-faced telling her the news that he was going to live a life of danger. Uh, again, I'm reading into it, but I look at it, and I'm like, this is the part of Ditko that I wish if I was his friend or something that I would try to talk him out of. I'd be like, you know, you see yourself as Peter Parker bravely turning away people so that you can do it all yourself. And like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be that way. Like, th- this is the... This totally fits the story, and it's great, and I love it as a as a reader. But as a sympathetic human being, I'm kind of like, no, don't model yourself after this aspect of Peter Parker. This is not heroic. Yeah, there's a moment at the end of the first Spider-Man Tobey Maguire film where Mary Jane basically says, "Like, hey, I, we should go out. We should be a couple. Like, I want to be with you." And Peter says no and walks away because he doesn't think as uh, Spider-Man he could be there for her. Yeah. But he doesn't give her that choice. He doesn't give her that option. Yeah. It's sort of like he's putting it all on his own shoulders. Yeah. It's like she's an adult human that can handle you. I remember seeing that moment in that movie. But it was also very true to Spider-Man. I remember thinking this is very true to the character, especially the early issues. And I appreciated that the film was being loyal in that way. But I was like, I never liked – I mean that is a common ingredient in the superhero mythology, you know, suffering in silence. And, yeah. And I – I've never liked that it romanticizes that. I don't mind romanticizing, hey, nobody appreciates how much power I have. Uh, I mean, who cares whether I mind or not? The story yeah. works. But like the, the comics have gotten better about this. Like uh, people are more open to relationships and fr- they've, they've found a way to make the story and the fantasy work uh, without always being a lone wolf. And I, I don't know, I really appreciate the maturity of. The genre, I guess. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you, you turn to Mary Jane and you go, hey, I'm Spider-Man. I need your help. I don't know if that's for you, but I trust you not to, you know, yeah. sell this information out to the, the highest bidder because, you know, you're my best friend in the world. If, if you don't want to date me now because I'm Spider-Man, great. Yeah, I understand. But you need yeah. to know that before we continue our relationship. Uh, but, you know, in a way, this is like he's in high school. This is his first relationship. You, yeah. you screw up. You learn. And then when he dates Mary Jane... Down the down the road, he's better for it. I mean, the I'm still into the even though Ditko is going to be gone soon. I never stopped liking Spider Man, and uh, I like these sort of continual arcs in his in his emotion. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Betty's reaction to this is a very Hitchcockian yeah. streak yeah. <laughs> with images of her dead brother and Peter now also dying in her mind. She's clutching her face. Yeah. Radiating blue rays are shooting out of her head I as love it. terror grips her soul. I love it. It's a bit of an overreaction <laughs> versus just like, oh, I, I hate this to happen to you. I am, like her reaction is shrieking and running away in horror. At least, um, I like this aspect of Betty better than just, at least there's depth and complication here. Oh, this is better than jealous Betty. Yeah. Um, all right. Bottom of page 17, Peter walks up to Jameson, man, look at Peter's face. He is, he's all business here. Yeah. Uh, Jonah makes a joke to him about how he, how he looks like something the cat dragged in. Peter just says, I'm not here to enter a beauty contest, Mr. Jameson. I've got something for you. He's a kid. He's 18. Like, uh, look how battle weary he is, but what a day he's had, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he almost died. He maybe, he's probably, maybe, hopefully saved his aunt's life. And he's broke. He's flat broke. Uh, last issue, he hawked all his belongings yeah. and took all his savings out to basically help pay for the serum that he got. Let alone, he hasn't found out a way to pay for medical bills and things like that. So now he offers these photographs to Jonah. And Jonah does like a triple take almost. It's so funny. 
And James in, in panel two of page 18, he's like, it's like a slapstick, like racing across the desk to grab the photos. Yeah. Uh, and Peter won't give them to him till he writes the check right now. And yeah. Peter's setting the price. Yeah. Jameson's like, we can settle your payment later. You know how generous I am. And Peter's like, yep, that's why we'll settle it now. <laughs> yeah. He settles the price for $100 each photo. Makes Jonah write the uh, check and Jonah thinks to himself, he doesn't realize they're worth twice as much, which is always the case. Yeah. Um, who do you think that bust is? Panel three, page 18. Who do you think Jameson has a bust of in his, in his office? I mean, my initial guess would be himself, but it doesn't look like Jonah. So <laughs> it's like, um, J Jonah Jameson, the first or something like that. Uh, yeah, right, right. It's a family, it's a family heirloom that's been passed down. Um, so panel four, he writes the check and now, uh, Bottom of page 18, Peter goes back to the hospital. That's right. He has to see if Aunt May's okay. He can't, he still hasn't slept in days. He walks in, the doctor sees him and uh, runs up to him. They said, we're about to find out in a couple minutes, but I want to check on you. You look terrible. Yeah. Uh, I am pretty tired, doc, but I got to find, page 19, panel two. I am pretty tired, doc, but I just got to find out about Aunt May first. Lucky for me, he didn't want to check my blood. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so the doc checks him, gives him some weird serum to drink. I guess it's just a... He's a friend of Craven's. Yeah. yeah. You know, Craven with all of his weird serums. Uh, but uh, just something, I guess, for pain relief, gives him something to drink. Uh, and uh, they find out that Aunt May, the, the tests were positive. The Aunt, Aunt May is pr- going to recover. Uh, yeah. And the bottom of page 19, um, panel six, Peter's smile. I yeah. mean... Well, how much is behind that smile? You know, like this is in a way the second time that he's lifted a huge weight off his shoulders. This is the more important one. Uh, I didn't let you down this yeah. time, Aunt May. I didn't fail you. She's moving and she says, Peter. And then um, top of page 20. God, it's only 20 pages. Yeah. And five of it was lifting that weight. So much happened in the last 15 pages. Um, and This is everything he's fought yep. for, right? The panel one and two. It's all right, Aunt May. You're going to be well again. Everything. I mean, I'm choking up. I, 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 I love it. He saved her. She says, Peter. He did it. He is the hero. He saved his mother's yeah. life. Yeah. And, oh, God. I and just, the smile on Aunt May's you know, th- face, like, the, the thing that makes her happiest in the world is Peter Parker. And that in and of itself is pretty amazing. <laughs> A mom's um, love for her child. Uh, and that's Aunt May is Peter's mom. Is just yeah. enormous. I say that now having a child and seeing how my wife yeah. reacts to our son, like nothing yeah. has ever made her even a fraction I, as happy as that, including me. Uh, <laughs> uh, she would argue with me on that, but I, it's not true. It's like this kid makes her so happy. There's nothing that's more important to her. And like, yeah. And I got to imagine, you know, if Cameron could save his mom's life at two years old, yeah. he would be, nothing would it. make him happier. Well, it's just like, you know, so many great stories use the same primal drives of like family or, or love or, um, so many storylines I think are saving like a love interest, saving Lois Lane. Uh, it's really great to see saving mom. And I think another reason why this comic was such a huge hit, like that was a more important relationship than Betty. Yes. I mean, this is aiming at 12 year olds, 13 year olds. And it's a it's a hero that is closer to their age than than Batman or Superman or Green Lantern or something. Um, these last four panels, but Peter's walking away still is they're so beautiful and subtle and nice. He's um, favoring his leg. Uh, he's slumped over, and Aunt May's smiling. And then the sh- the shade gets dropped, and even in pa- panel three there, where there's like shadow on her face. Um. And it's such a beautifully drawn sequence. Yeah. Right before that, Peter's leaving the office and the doctor tells him to go get some rest. And Peter says, I think I'll be able to now, which is also really great. And then here's the doctor's inner thoughts as Parker walks away. That Peter Parker certainly is a nice boy, sincere, well-mannered, devoted to his aunt. Too, ba- too bad there aren't many more young men like that. Too bad someone like him can't be an idol for teenagers to imitate instead of some mysterious unknown thrill seeker like Spider-Man. Uh, and they still had a panel left to go. They still they couldn't fill the whole issue, so it's a full panel ad for the next issue. Craven the Hunter's returning. <laughs> Never has there been a more anticlimactic next issue. Like, there's no way to yeah. live up to this. 
You think, oh, you thought um, that was something? Wait till that guy who wears a lion head on his chest shows up again. <laughs> yeah. Craven always kind of looks a little dumb in these early issues, but he looks super dumb here. I think it's like, Craven, get yeah. out of here. <laughs> I saved Aunt May. Oh, yeah? Can you get out of my uh, animal trap? Here comes some wild boar <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, in a way, this could be the end of Spider-Man, the whole story. Like, he's redeemed himself. He's found redemption. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely, it's one of those things every now and then they try to do these stories where it's whatever the driving force of this character is, uh, here's where it culminates. And that's sort of what this is. And then you sort of kind of have to ignore that he had this emotional breakthrough because he's still going to be dealing with guilt for the next 40 years of comics. Yeah. Right. Right. In a way, these guys never totally evolve, but there's these like every now and then Batman gets over like the fact that he's he couldn't save his parents that he's like, you know, like yeah. they do a story like where he catches the crook who originally shot his parents. It's like, great. Now he's not doing it for them. And now he's doing it for just to be a hero. And it's like, Oh, that's really cool. But then also like a couple years later, he's doing it for his parents again. <laughs> Cause that's yeah. the heart of the right, right, of course, can't of course. get away from it. And how many times has Aunt May been on death's door since this time? Never again. She's never <laughs> super healthy. I mean, she's died twice at least since this point. Um, I, uh, it's funny having the actual issue here. One, seven, eight. There's nine other Marvel titles, uh, that are featured in the, uh, Marvel bullpen bulletins page. Not, not so many, I think. Yeah. It's such a small line still at this point and it will be for a while longer. Um, well, what, what an accomplishment. I, I'm just so grateful that, uh, that they made this issue and, um, it was a success. Everybody read it. Everybody, anybody who's read it knows it's great. It's beloved by creators by comic book creators all over the place. And, um, and I'm, and I'm glad, I mean, they deserve it. They, they did good work. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad. Uh, hopefully a lot of people who have not read these issues are reading it now with us, um, or rereading it for the first time in a long time. Uh, and it's just great to be able to revisit it. it we, I, we, I've made the joke earlier in the podcast, but these three issues are probably the main reason we're doing this podcast. Yeah, I think so. Uh, without them, would we be as passionate about this character enough to do this? Uh, maybe, uh, but I don't know for yeah, sure. Maybe. These are an important piece of that puzzle. Um, I mean, we could end our podcast right here. We're not going to, but just like just like Steve did go, yeah. we're going to keep going for a couple. We're going to do, the, gonna do the rest of the uh, his run. Uh, maybe a couple bonus episodes here or there. Um, but it does feel like uh, this is what we've been try- hoping to get to. Like we've been looking forward to this issue. I remember at Christmas last year talking about, ooh, we get to do the Master Planner Saga in late August. <laughs> and here we are doing it. The only two direct references I can think of to this issue is um, Frog Thor. Walt Simonson did a Thor issue in, in 1986, issue 364, uh, where Thor gets turned into a frog. And he at one point has to get back and find his human-sized hammer and try to wield it in order to get his Thor power back, even though he's in a frog's body. And when he slides underneath the big hammer, he says, within my body is the strength of many frogs. And he does like a little mini version of the Spider-Man speech. Um, yep. Uh, uh, there's an episode of Batman Beyond that I have mentioned in previous episodes. I think I forget the title of it. I think it's called Heroes or something like that, where he fights faces basically sort of a Fantastic Four analogs. And this exact moment, he gets pinned under a huge weight and lifts it off in a very clear homage to this. Uh, Jaime Hernandez is one of the two guys that does the indie comic book Love and Rockets, which is one of my favorite. Uh, in his graphic novel, Wigwam Bam, Wigwam Bam, uh, there's a, a dog, stray dog that's kind of running around the issue. And at one point, the dog takes refuge under a big metal thing. And there's a panel that's a total copy of Spider-Man trapped under his thing. Because uh, Jaime's a big Ditko fan. And there's definitely been some Spider-Man comics that have homage to this, no question. Uh, Mark Bagley did one, so I kind of assume it was like issue 400 or something yeah. like that. Um, I mean, like, they just redid this moment, basically, in sort of an homage. It happened in the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon as well, uh, pretty directly. Just because, like, whenever yeah. you have that one bar coming down, sort of splitting your view from his head to his arm... It's like that. Oh, it's that yeah. same piece of machinery. Homecoming did sort of a, uh, a lighter homage to it. It wasn't the same piece of machinery. It didn't wasn't played up quite as much, but it was still a big moment. 
Yeah, and Spider-Man, Spider-Man Two with Tobey Maguire. There's an even more subtle sort of yeah. Spidey's trapped under a big metal thing moment. Uh, but the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon did this mo did like a big piece of machinery on Spider-Man's back that he had to like make a big speech to get off of him. Um, maybe we forego the awards, or maybe we should we should do it. Uh, yeah, let's, let's try. Um, yeah, let's try. Okay, uh, best panel. I mean. <laughs> There's only can we pick like 30? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna pick the main one, page five, the whole page. Like, it's the emotional climax of the whole series, yeah. Uh, and a beautiful drawing. I mean, the panel right before it is also great, yep. Uh, I mean, every panel of that lifting sequence is, I know, I know, great. Uh, I also love the panel on page six of him being hit by the water, as well as the first panel on page six where he's limping away from the machinery. I think that's a great um, panel. Which one are you going to pick? Uh, I don't know. I'm picking all of those. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jonah <laughs> leaping for the photos is great. I mean, if I was going to pick one, not counting the lifting page, uh, I would pick um, uh, t -t 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 -t. I mean, it's such a cop out. The, the panel right before it has to be that. I mean, like if it's not lifting that weight, I just don't know what you're picking. So page four, last panel. Okay. What's your favorite uh, Stanley dialogue? Um, I mean, it's got to be anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. If you're going to take that, which I would have picked, I'll take, I'll take. Um, yeah, my my backup would have been that last that dialogue on page ten. The a man may lose. Yeah, I'm going to pick the the top two panels of page three. Within my body is the strength of many men, and now I've got to call in all that strength, all the power that I possess. I get chills every time I read it. I know that it's just in context, but I'm uh, I'm going to give it to those lines. Those are the ones that trigger it. I'm like, oh, here we go. Uh, highlight <laughs> seems so silly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's lifting the machine, right? I mean, yeah. What's your, what's your second highlight? I guess let's say that's a given. Um, my second highlight is. Well, it's punch. It's when he punches and he doesn't stop when he's punching the air. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm going to pick the moment where he's smiling over Aunt May as my second highlight. Um, I mean, I guess my low light is the secret identity stuff that he talks about with Doc Connors, but I don't really care. I mean, to call a low light in this issue is almost sacrilege. I refuse yeah. to pick one. Uh, or the Craven ad. <laughs> okay, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. Craven <laughs> ad is the low light. <laughs> It's a bit unfair to Craven, but I, I like Craven. But uh, that, me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, say the end and move on. Do you have a recommendation you want to do? You've been recommending stuff on big arcs. Yes, uh, uh, I have been doing that, haven't I? Um, yeah. uh, sure. I'm trying to pick which one I'm going to do. Um, what's another uh, big run? What's one that's even close to having this emotional impact? I mean, I mean they, they, they certainly happen though. Like, you know. Big finishes. Oh, um, well, God, I hate it, though. Born Again by Daredevil. At the end of it, there's sort of a similar feeling of relief. That's a really that's become a problematic series for me in a lot of ways. But that was a huge emotional journey for Matt Murdock. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just it's very tough to uh, nothing has the emotional weight of these sorts of things. It's just. Uh, um. Like I definitely have read, read things that have like emotional moments, like a panel or two that surprise me and get me. Um, you know, I've got one. Okay, go for it. Speaking of love and rockets, so Jaime Hernandez, he's one of the two guys uh, who does the comic book Love and Rockets, and he's created his own little stable of characters that started like in 1981. And he's done them throughout his whole life and he's let the characters age. So they were like 14 or 15 when he started and now they're like in their 40s or something. And if you're a lifelong fan like me, it's been really interesting to see these characters grow up and it's taken place over such a long period of time that you yourself, the reader, has also grown up. You know, I was like 16 when I got my first Love and Rockets comic book and now I'm 47. And two years ago, he did this thing where one of the main characters, Ray, who was in love with the other, another one of the main characters, Maggie, they've been, they've been like together and apart many times over the decades. Um, he, he almost dies and he, his life flashes before his eyes and he remembers the most important times in his life that he's seen Maggie. So there's like 
12, nine panels on one page. Are there 12 panels on one page? I forget how many, but like where it's just Ray, the look on Ray's face, seeing Maggie. And then on the opposite page is Maggie looking back. And so you match the panels and it takes you through 40 years of Love and Rockets comics of Ray and Maggie looking at each other. And I could, and they were all sort of redrawn moments that really happened in the series. So I was taken back reading it to being like, I remember when I was 16 and this happened. Oh, I remember when I was 25 and this happened. And it was a unique, uniquely powerful moment because it had been built up for like 30 years. Uh, that's that's kind of unique. And, you know, uh, you need a long buildup for those things to really have the punch. Yeah, uh, my, and it's not nearly as emotional uh, like that. But I guess the one that jumps to mind next would be uh, from the Captain Britain series. Okay. Which I loved uh, largely because of Alan Davis's art. Sure, yeah. Um, Even though Alan Moore wrote a lot of it, uh, Alan Davis is what drew me in because I read the Excalibur series first, which was sort of Chris Claremont and Alan Davis building off of a lot of Captain Britain stories. Yes. And then they released a trade of all of Alan Davis's Captain Britain stuff, which I devoured. And then eventually they released all the Alan Moore, Alan Davis stuff that preceded that. So I've read it all sort of in reverse order. Um, But in that story, uh, Captain Britain gets killed by something called the Fury, uh, which is like a superhero killing machine. Uh, Like uh, somehow Captain Britain ends up on a different earth. And in that different earth, they've built a machine called the Fury that is built to kill all superheroes. And so Captain Britain goes to face it because he's the hero and it kills him. Uh, and then, uh, you know, like through this magical means, Captain Britain is sort of rebuilt piece by piece to be alive again and put back on his earth. One of the many times that Alan Moore has rebuilt a human body layer by layer. He's done it like three or four times. Yeah. This might be the first one. Yeah. It's definitely before Swamp Thing. Uh, and so Captain Britain is alive again. He's on his earth and there's a bunch of stories and it's really great. And then somehow the fury escapes its dimension and follows Captain Britain to the new dimension. It like breaks through the the rift between dimensions because it's so powerful and it can't be defeated. And there's this moment in the story where somebody's attacking Captain Britain's friends. He doesn't know who it is, so he flies out to fight it. It grabs him. It throws him down to the dirt. He looks up, and it's the thing that killed him. And it's this panel of just like Captain Britain going, oh, I'm about to die. His eye, like there's no dialogue. It's just his eyes of pure fear where it dawns on him. Like he's this sort of hero that like, oh, I always win. I'm going to go in. I'm the most powerful hero in the United Kingdom. I can handle this. No problem. If I can't stop it, no one can. And he kind of goes in. He's like, oh, yeah, this is the thing that I know I can't beat. Um, And it's this amazing moment where I was like, oh, that terror hit me so hard. You know, you're not faced with a thing that killed you. (laughs) Yeah. You don't get to see that because you don't get reborn. And it really, really hit. And the whole series sort of built up to that moment. And it was wonderful. The Fury has come back in comics a number of times since then. It's always dumb. But that moment was really great. Cool. But it's it's no saving Aunt May. Um, well, Kevin, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, yeah. This is it. The end of the Master Planner saga. Uh, we're definitely going to do mail next episode yeah. or, or the next regular episode. Um, so... Keep writing us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. Uh, check and out our Instagram at screwitspidey uh, or Twitter at screwitspidey. Also, our brother Brian has made a video co- uh, companion for episodes for issue 31 and 32. And I think he'll do one for this episode also. And they're going to be on my YouTube channel, which is Willie B. Hines. So you can see those there if you want to see the yeah. clips of the panels that we talk about. Yeah, I will tweet out links to that too so that people can see that um yeah um we've gotten a lot of great email i just this is not the episode to read it so we're going to just do it on a a future episode Mm -hmm. um we might not do we might do not do a steve ditko episode next week right right we're probably going to do like a breaking other other classics one and then we'll go back to the disc it's sort of as a palate cleanser so we might not do mail till after that depending how long that one goes uh there might still be one more before we get to mail but keep writing us please screw it spidey at gmail.com i definitely got some emails where people giving us more examples of how steve ditko deserves credit for heroes he didn't create (laughs) oh love it let's keep going with that. So more more characters that Steve Ditko didn't create. Give him full credit. Tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um, Kevin, good job in this podcast. 
Yeah, well, uh, you did it. Even though it was hard and you were ready to give up during the middle of this podcast, yep. you, you didn't. You didn't. You did, you did too, Kevin. I mean, anyone can quit when the odds are easy. Anyone could quit this podcast when the job, when it's, when it's easy. But here, 41 weeks into it. Yeah. With everybody telling us we're self-indulgent, <laughs> crazy, yeah. navel-gazing people with their emotions arrested at the age of 13. When all the people are looking at us going, why are you doing this? <laughs> oh, we didn't know that was still happening. <laughs> and we don't have an answer to that question. We, we didn't quit. <laughs> we didn't quit. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, see you next episode. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. And we host Everything is Rent, a podcast about the Broadway musical Rent. Every week, we're joined by a hilarious guest to talk about one of Rent's 525,600 songs. We'll answer questions like, is Rent the best musical of all time? Has Rent aged well? Are they not going to pay Rent? The answer to all these questions is yes. That's Everything is Rent on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire. Campfire.